Okay, so uh, hi everybody, it's uh, Stephen here, and welcome to Now and Men and what is our Christmas special episode. Uh, hi Sandy. Hello everybody, um, hi Stephen. With it being Christmas and all, we thought we'd like to focus on the gendering of toys and presents that we buy for children. In other words, how some of them are promoted directly or, or more likely indirectly as being only suitable for girls and others only suitable for boys and what the impact of that might be. So, so for that reason, we're speaking today to Olivia Dickinson. Hello, Olivia. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, for speaking to us. Um, so Olivia is part of the uh, Let Toys Be Toys campaign in the UK, uh, which does a lot of brilliant work around challenging gender stereotypes in childhood. Uh, and she's got 20 years of experience of working in children's media as well, across CBBS, CBBC, Discovery Education, Nickelodeon, Nick Jr. and Spy Kids. Uh, sorry, Sky Kids. Sky Kids, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia also provides training for school staff and trainee teachers, as well as consulting for children's TV and digital companies on equality issues. And she's a member of the executive group responsible for diversity and inclusion at the Children's Media Foundation. So thanks for coming on the show, Olivia. Um, maybe you can start off by telling us why gender stereotypes are something which are important to think about in relation to the toys children play with perhaps especially at this time of year when some of us are buying a lot of toys and presents. So what, what impacts do these stereotypes have? I mean, what's what's harmful about a children's toy, for goodness sake? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. That's a question that the campaign gets asked. There's <laughs> nothing harmful about any toy, uh, if it's a good toy for, for a child. Um, what's harmful is when children aren't being given the opportunities to play with a range of toys. So what we've looked at often during the campaign is how... Uh, boys are restricted from playing with, say, caring or nurturing or domestic toys, and girls are restricted from playing with, say, construction toys or ones that might help with spatial ability. Um, and obviously, they're not restricted from that, but there might be ways that the toys are being marketed or packaged or sold, or even just that sort of peer pressure of what feels appropriate. Um, and that's that's where the the connection between gender stereotypes and harm comes in. Right. And do you want to say a little bit more about boys specifically? Perhaps you could give examples of how toys that we give boys might be shaped by and, and perhaps in turn shape constructions of masculinity and what impact that has on boys. Yes. Yeah, so there's often the, the classic of, you know, boys aren't given um, dolls to, to play with or um, toy buggies um, and um, or sort of slings, you know, that you might put your teddy in. Um, all of those caring things means they're missing out on certain role play experiences um, and that is often connected to language development as well but you're right from a bigger perspective around sort of um, ongoing masculinity it's sort of telling them uh, that there are certain areas they're not supposed to care about. Um, the other area that we've noticed particularly from we've just done some research actually about TV um, ads for toys is that a lot of the the, the Although ads have improved in that now boys and girls are shown playing together a lot more, the ones that show only girls are often to do with appearance um, and uh, sort of domesticity. And again, we're just thinking there's a sort of unequal footing here for girls and boys with certain things that are off limits for boys. Right. And I, I think I noticed in the research also there was a message about boys not going anywhere near pink things. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. So although, I mean, it's a classic that I think we've noticed for a long time, it's okay for girls to to, to be open to doing boys things. But often the, the, the big one is that boys are not supposed to be into girl things. And actually, that came out a couple of months ago, 
from the research from Lego. I don't know if you saw that, where they did a really big study, which we were very impressed with, uh, where I think it was something like 71% of boys uh, had got the message that they should be ashamed of playing with what's deemed girly or girl toys. Um, and that's a, a massive message that's coming through to them. And that's still carrying on, you know, in late 2021. Sure. And do you think those um, influence, the influence of those stereotypes continues, you know, as boys and girls uh, get older? I mean, are they, are they influential in the long term? Um, I think they can be. I think it can depend because we've often seen there's a sort of peak between sort of four and seven where boys and girls particularly are very bothered. You know, they're, they're trying to figure out who they are and they're thinking about what they're supposed to play with. And I think it does ease off a little bit in the later primary years. But I think the long term thing is that they've been given that message early on that certain things aren't for them. And that will have an effect on, you know, the fact that there's what is it, only 11 percent of nurses and men and that sort of thing so um yeah and I think is it it's something awful that in the early years you know only three percent of the whole workforce are men so yeah it has a really big impact later right and do you think it's possible that um uh, boys or girls can resist those influences as well I'm, I'm thinking of my own experience mm-hmm. here where uh I mean I wasn't particularly rebellious but I well remember thinking my action man didn't have anything to wear at night he needed some pajamas you know yeah. and uh you know well, maybe that's why I'm hosting this show. Who knows? But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the question stands. Do do children resist the influences of yeah, these no, stereotypes? No, they do. And how does and that work? It, they do resist. I think the saddest thing that we find is where a child has happily carried on not sort of knowing there are these sort of stereotypes and restrictions. And then either they start to learn to read and they see some signs and they might see some packaging that says something about boys or girls or they even just see pictures or, or adverts that, that are giving them that. Um, or that they start to sort of learn from their peers. And again, those peers, you know, there's no fault. They're just learning from society or even their own parents or again from advertising. Um, so I think I think they can resist, but some, it can really depend on the character of the child and getting the support from their family that of course it's you know fine uh, to do that so an example I always have is so my um, son is now late primary but you know we've never restricted he reads an incredible amount and he just reads and reads and reads and I'd never think of that classic sort of boys don't read about girls and he wouldn't even consider it but again it's you know I do know of other parents where they're tending to give non-fiction or finding adventure stories and you're thinking but why? What, what? What? What's wrong about the narrative of girls that boys can't read about it? So again, it's about expectation um, and and not even yeah, sort of saying things are off limits, I suppose. Because that is a, an issue in and of itself, isn't it? As you say, that actually boys often don't read as much as girls, perhaps especially like fiction. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think that's a, something to think about here as well? Yeah, I mean, so so we have a, a, a campaign called Let Books Be Books that originally started that was more about the covers of books and what they were saying. So there are some classic books out there that thankfully are no longer in print. So um, gorgeous colouring for girls and uh, baking for boys. And uh, the the food ones have always entertained us that children have to cook and eat different food. Um, (laughs) But but again, it's giving a message of, you know, different things for for different um, uh, kids. But um, but no, the reading is an interesting one because there is there are a lot of these myths of, you know, boys don't read about girls or boys don't like reading. 
And the problem you've got is that at a certain age, they might actually pick up on that and think they need to conform mm. to that expectation. Um, and if if they've never actually heard of that expectation, they're going to carry on. I think mm. there is there's some good research out there about sort of literacy among boys. And I think it does tend to say that if a child has started reading quite early on and is a sort of free reader, there isn't a massive difference in what boys and girls are reading. It's it's the reluctant readers that can be both girls and boys um, where it becomes more of an issue with boys because they might be start being fed books that they're supposed to like and then they get put off even more, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And would you say that this is something which has um, has got worse over time or got better over time in terms of gender stereotypes and what children are learning ab about them? Um, so, I mean, for example, you know, if you think about the kind of message that boys often get nowadays about, you know, that a real man should be big and strong and muscular, uh, you know, and if we, I mean, there's research, isn't there, about uh, things like G.I. Joe mm -hmm. and how, like, his biceps and chest have, like, grown disproportionately yeah. since, like, the 1960s and 70s to today. Um, so yeah, what do you think this tells us about the kind of culture? Yeah, I think I think it depends what sort of um, how many decades you're looking at. <laughs> so one thing we we always cite is the work of Elizabeth Sweet that has shown that um, that divide in pink and blue really really grew in the 1990s, and so lots of us from the campaign grew up in the 70s and 80s, and we didn't experience that that divide ourselves. We didn't feel toys were gendered in that way. And then we're very much aware that um, people who are becoming parents now uh, have only grown up with that divide. So, you know, they they may have been kids in the 90s and into the, uh, I don't know, what do we call them? Zeros. Um, and, um, and so I don't know, there's a little bit of ebb and flow in that there may have been a peak when it was really bad. Because of our campaign, um, 15 shops, which is mo most of them, because it covers places like Tesco and John Lewis, no longer have girls and boys signs in the separate aisles for toys. And we have seen a lot of promising better packaging. So recently there's been some from Tesco. Um, there are others if you look on our Twitter feed. So, so I don't know, it's tricky because on the one hand, we think there have been improvements because we've been reviewing it now for nearly 10 years. But on the other, I think when you're a new parent, mm. you're suddenly bombarded with pink and blue and you can't believe this is what your child is is, is in. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and how difficult that is to resist, I suppose, if you've only got a certain amount of options and if all the other kids are, are do exactly. playing with certain toys. And I and... think a certain amount of options is a really good one, I uh, think, mm. about Christmas shopping because, mm. you know, if if actually you you have to do it online or you can only go to the big supermarket or you know mm. you don't have much money and you're restricted in terms of how much choice you've got mm. um yeah that there will be certain toys that you think are these only conforming to stereotypes so we have a scheme called toy mark where we award uh independent retailers who uh shop well who stock and then can make people shop um, sort of outside those gender stereotypes so they have to uh, meet certain requirements around challenging uh, stereotypes and not showing um, certain restrictions and also we look at other diversity you know what other books are they stocking what other um, toys and dolls and how do they mix them up so obviously our best approach is you know you mix by the type of toy uh, not by who it's supposedly for so mm. yeah 
No, that's fantastic. And I, I wanted to ask you about that, and actually, because I know you've achieved some fantastic things, haven't you, in the in the time of the campaign? So, yeah, could you just say a little bit more about that, about some of the some of the things which you do as a as the Let Toys Be Toys yeah. campaign, and some of the things you've achieved, which you're kind of proud of? Yeah. So the campaign started in um, 2012, around this time of year, actually. So it was sort of November time. I wasn't involved then, but again, it was parents. Uh, on Mum's Net, getting really fed up with the the gendering of toys on their on their Christmas lists for their kids and in the shops. Um, and since then, um, fifteen retailers have committed to taking down the boys and girls signs. Occasionally, they pop up again, and and actually, we tend to get a very good response. So, for example, TK Maxx suddenly puts them back in, and they immediately said, "Oh no, we'll take them back down again." So it's sort of shop by shop. If you know, head office hasn't hasn't communicated it. Um, sadly, some of those shops that that committed all that time ago are now long, no longer, uh, you know, Toys R Us and Debenhams aren't sort of on our high streets anymore. Um, and then we've also had 11 publishers commit to let books be books. So again, that is um, allowing, uh, so they're removing uh, books that have labels saying for boys or for girls. Obviously, we get contacted a lot on social media as more about packaging so the colours that might be used in packaging or on the cover of a book and saying this is, is this explicitly saying this is for girls or boys? It might not have the label, but the colours are obviously giving a message. Um, and then we've tried to do different bits of research across the the, the years. So the, the research we've just done into TV advertising, we've tried to repeat what we did in 2015 because we were aware that the media landscape has changed dramatically since 2015. Um, COVID's obviously speed, sped that up. Um, but, you know, kids aren't watching linear channels and seeing as many adverts, but they're going to be seeing adverts on YouTube. They're still being bombarded with, you know, ads for toys. Um, and so we've been quite impressed, actually, with the research that we have just finished in that there are more examples of boys and girls playing together um, and girls particularly seem to be faring a bit better. But as we said at the beginning, the boys are being restricted. Um, I'm trying to think what else we've covered. I mean, we've started to do, we sort of dipped in and out of doing some training, but we are all volunteers and it depends how we can fit it in around our day jobs. Uh, we were part of the Fawcett Society um, uh I've forgotten what they called it, but the unlimited potential was, was there. Was it the Commission on Gender Stereotypes? Yes, thank you, Commission. That's the word I was thinking. What's it called? Um, yeah, the Commission on Gender Stereotypes in, in Early Childhood. And they did a really thorough job with a lot of stakeholders and a lot of consultants. And um, and they're still working through some of those um, uh, recommendations. And in fact, Fawcett themselves have just published something with um, uh, Leon, so to do with advertising. So they've published something again recommendations for advertising there's been a change actually from the ASA in how gender stereotypes are portrayed in advertising uh we find it interesting the only ads that have so far been uh sort of asked to be taken down are ones aimed at grown-ups so we'd quite like to see you know whether there's scope for any ads that are aimed at children to be uh, looked at from an ASA perspective as well. I was just wondering about um, like what what role do you know do companies like you know toy manufacturers have to play here? I mean, are they are they kind of a big part of the problem? Are they actually profiting often from like entrenching these gender stereotypes? Or um, I don't. Uh, it's a tricky one. We've we we have worked with a few um, which we we sort of don't uh, you know that sort of kept confidential. But uh, it's always been tricky in that we can't 
get out of them, how profitable it is to to have that divide. You know, mm-hmm. once the signs came down in shops, there didn't seem to be a massive change in how shoppers were shopping or the profits that were coming in. Um, so in that sense, we're not sure it's benefiting them. Um, what we are aware of and that we we still sort of struggle with how to unpick is how sort of embedded it is. So, you know, a big supermarket or a big department store will have girl buyers and toy and boy buyers. And and almost from the very beginning, when you're starting to license um at, say a TV show into toys, they're starting to think about it from a boy perspective and a girl perspective. So they're not necessarily thinking about, um, okay, what sort of product can this be? But they're thinking about who the consumer or who the audience is. And I think there's a lot of unpicking there that I, you know, some of the companies are committed to, but it's got such a long lead time um, that you almost need to start talking very early on. Um, and then I think it's also that you know, they will say, well, people buy this stuff. And obviously, sometimes our our perspective on that is, well, they buy it because there isn't anything else, you know, and if that's the character or the thing that the child really likes, then that's what they're going to go for. But a good example we always talk about is Paw Patrol, which is still a very popular preschool mm. show. Yes, my niece watches that all yeah. the time. <laughs> and, and it only has two uh, female characters, um, only no. one regular female character, Sky. And what tends to happen is all the Sky merchandise is, well, she's got pink on her and it's all coloured pink and there'll be girl pyjamas and and that sort of thing. And, you know, we know plenty of boys who love Sky mm. and then also plenty of uh, girls who, who who love the boy characters as well. And there there doesn't seem to be that recognition. And then sometimes what happens is the girls, the, the girl characters get missed off. So we've got missing girls uh, off pyjamas, say. The pyjamas only feature all the boy pups, not the girl um and the same thing will happen with some of the other uh, big things like pj masks and um uh, go jetters that sort of thing where where there's a minority of of female characters um and again i think you know we might be able to anecdotally say or have plenty of people on social media say my boy likes you know the pink stuff or really loves sky and yet that message doesn't always come through uh to say the retailers or the the manufacturers mm-hmm. yeah and it feels like that that kind of implicitness as well that you know maybe they could say like oh well we're not we're not explicitly targeting this at girls or boys but i feel like that often the kind of subliminal like the, as you say like the colors like if something is clearly in pink and these colors which for some reason we now associate with uh femininity or whatever mm-hmm. like that, that will still have that effect i suppose doesn't it yeah um, and i think it, it starts to be a learned thing so you know like i said we used to get a lot of people on social media saying, oh, my child's just started nursery or just started reception or went to a party and is suddenly being told what is a girl colour and a boy colour. And again, that's, you know, in good nurseries and good um, early years settings, everyone's pushing back on that. And we have our 10 ways to challenge gender stereotypes in early years in schools. And one of those is saying things like, oh, my dad loves pink or you know, if you're a woman or if you're a man saying, oh, I do the cooking, you know, just giving those little examples when, because they, you know, kids start to imagine, you know, they see one thing at home or they're told one thing at school and they, they that's all they can experience. So that's what they think is true, which is fair enough because they're only four. Um, and it's just having that opportunity to challenge it a little bit. Mm. 
No, and I think it's like when when we're from a very young age, it, like kids absorb so much, don't they? And they, I think perhaps it's easy to forget that, like how much kids are taking in from the world around them, and so therefore they're yeah they're going to be processing this these kind of messages that we are giving them, either deliberately or unintentionally. Like exactly, yeah. I remember um so Dr. Carrie Peekser, who's um done research in this area, and I remember her example was great in that she said if if only mum drinks coffee and you're a small child you think only women drink coffee you you just don't get you know dad doesn't drink coffee so dad, men don't drink coffee you know because that's their their sphere of experience and obviously that changes as they realize that you know coffee isn't just for for women but it's that sort of thing so yes because yeah so clearly there are some uh some good examples i suppose of how com- some companies are starting to yeah. to think differently about this i mean there's also um kind of lego for example isn't there who you know perhaps they've been criticized quite a bit over the years but they did recently launch um the first set of kind of lgbtqi figures for example um so perhaps it seems like there is some progress going on yeah perhaps- i mean they after this research that i mentioned they they say they've made a commitment to really uh sort of removing gender stereotypes completely their le- their website now does have any boy girl divisions um and obviously we've always pushed that their lego should be all grouped together but we still see lego friends might be put in a different place from lego city uh then there's lego harry potter you know there's so many different sort of ranges um i haven't been to a physical lego shop recently to sort of check it out if anyone wants to do that we'd love to know um but um yeah so i think it's also just like you say it's the sort of proof of what we actually see what mm. will end up on the shelves mm. um how will it be packaged how will it be marketed um you know they tried with lego friends uh they've introduced quite a few boy characters into that uh range but again everyone when it launched said oh it's the girl range mm. and yet you know um it's it supposedly because they hadn't marketed enough to girls in the past so you're sort of you know, um, shooting themselves in the foot slightly. Yeah. I was interested in what you said a minute ago about, you know, seeing perhaps your mum drinking coffee and therefore, you know, that's what you would do. I mean, you wouldn't know this, but one of my other roles, I've been a a chess coach. Mm -hmm. And so coaching chess in schools. And uh, there you see chess being taken up by boys, you know, um, often almost exclusively, if it's as an after-school activity. You know, you know, there's nothing intrinsically male about chess itself I mean in fact it has this sort of powerful figure of the queen you Mm. know so you could say well that might be an attraction attraction to girls so I I have come back to thinking well you know if you see your dad playing chess or it's or chess is perceived to be a male activity then that follows you know and it's it's incredibly hard to to turn that round and establish Mm. a sort of bridgehead of girls who even though you know when they do play, you know, they're great at it. So. Exactly. And I think also with, with a club, as an example, at a school, is um, it's that peer pressure again of do I really want to go if I'm going to be the only girl? Um, yeah. Because they will notice that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll sort of check. You know, I can I still remember times when my son has said, are there any boys going something else? You know, he's bothered. And I'll say, but you know all the girls, but it's just not. You know, again, it's how they've been socialised of yeah. who they play with and who their friends are and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the chess I think is a really good example. I think the um, Queen's Gambit, that that mm. program on Netflix, I think yeah. has increased girls' interest, which is mm. good. Um, mm. But you're right; there's no reason. 
but it's sort of become a tradition that it should be for boys. Well, the other thing that's interesting, I think, from a gendered point of view, is that, is that chess gives boys who are not into some of the sort of dominant um, discourses of football and sport and so on, they can shine at these things as yeah. well. And yeah. so I think that's quite interesting too, from a gendered point of view. Yeah, that's true. But then again, does it still become a, a boy yeah. dominant space? Yeah, true. And then, yeah, true, true. So it is tricky. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, I won't go on about chess too much, but uh, I just <laughs> couldn't help but, uh, but, but mention no, it. But I do think the other thing I've noticed in schools that I've been looking at recently, and again, this is purely incidental, is if you look down the instruments that children are learning. Mm. So um, piano seems to be across everything, but you'll see that the drums and the brass is starting to be dominated by boys and the strings and the flute and the wind. And... Um, and and it was just because I've, I've looked at sort of timetables of when kids are doing it and thought, hang on, why are all the girls playing the flute and things? Mm. And obviously, again, we all know, you know, I do know a girl that, that um, plays a brass instrument, those sorts of things, and and a girl that plays drums. and uh, But I don't actually currently know a boy that plays the flute or the clarinet. You know, it's those sorts of things that, um, mm. yeah, and those are the little things. So in our 10 ways, we... We haven't included that specifically, but it's looking at those tiny things in nurseries and, and schools to say, mm-hmm. you know, just unpick it slightly and think, hang on, why is that dominated mm-hmm. by boys or girls? Uh, and is this through, um, I mean, I know you've been involved with an organisation called Lifting Limits in the mm-hmm. past, and they do work around these areas in, in primary schools and yep. in helping them to tackle gender stereotypes. I wondered if you could say a bit, a bit more about their work, yeah, because sure. it sounds so- very important. It is very important. So those, the 10 ways I was talking about are actually inspired originally from some work the NEU did that used to be the NUT, the teaching union. Um, but Lifting Limits has then done incredibly thorough work. So they have um, a whole year long programme that a school needs to sign up for. They did a five, uh, not a five year, they did a year long pilot with five schools in uh, one part of London. And then um, it's grown since then. So I was part of Lifting Limits a couple of years ago, actually, not even a couple. It was during COVID time. Um, And um, so what they do is they take what's called a whole school approach. Um, And this is something that's been um, very much advocated by the Institute of Physics for secondary schools. Um, And then it's never been done for primary schools. And so Karen from Lifting Limits has... um, created this whole model that works from nursery upwards um, in primary schools where you're again looking at everything so you'll be starting from sort of the ground up in terms of training for everyone not just teachers so thinking about all the staff so the lunchtime staff the front of you know reception staff um, the you know people in the playground the PE staff that only come in once a week Um, so thinking about training in that sense of we've all got the same ethos Um, about being anti-sexist basically and then um, from that it's sort of instilling uh, how to challenge gender stereotypes and starting to give confidence to both boys and girls in terms of actually questioning some of those role models so so you can look on the Lifting Limits website they've got the final report of the pilot that then shows the results and there's some quite remarkable things in there in terms of how um, the boys start to I think there was one done about sort of career aspirations and it sort of flipped from boys realising they could be teachers and nurses and girls um, being footballers and that sort of thing. Um, So, yeah, it's had a a huge, huge impact. But the problem is because it's quite intense and each school has to sign up, Only it's only at a few schools but growing and it would be great to, yeah, get it out there. Hmm. 
So if there are any teachers listening, maybe they should have a look on the Lifting Limits website. Yeah, they should website. definitely have a look. And then, I mean, in that sense, you've sort of then got some guidance, but there's other stuff out there. So like I said, there's Gender Action from the Institute of Physics. We've put stuff up on Let Toys Be Toys. But again, it's worth getting in touch with either Lifting Limits or Let Toys Be Toys and just saying, you know, this is the direction we want to go in and, and where do we start? Um, and again, oh, the other thing, actually, that's a good way to do it over Christmas is watch the um, No More Boys and Girls documentary. Mm. So I'm sure both of you have seen that. Have you seen that with Graham Andre, um, mm. his two-parter? Um, so he was a year three teacher who uh, sort of had intervention for six weeks on how to challenge gender stereotypes. And I actually, when it was repeated, I watched it with my son, who was then year three. So it was actually a really good experience because he could say for half of it, he said, well, we don't do that. And I was like, oh, good. So I'm glad your school, you know, isn't doing certain things. But on the other hand, he could also see why, you know, certain things weren't liked by the girls and the boys. But the key thing we often talk about with that programme is just how remarkable the change was in the confidence of the girls, the self-esteem of the girls, and then what they called the observed bad behaviour of the boys went down by 57%, which, you know, those sorts of interventions are the sorts of things that people are always tearing their hair about, you know, how are we going to manage with those few naughty boys? And actually, look, this is how you can do it. So, yeah, I hide, it's on YouTube. I'm not supposed to say that, because, uh, but it's no longer on iPlayer, but it is on YouTube. So just search No More Boys and Girls. It feels like schools schools have such an important role to play here, doesn't it? Like, um, I mean, just going back to what you were saying about uh, like music. Like, I remember, you know, mm. when I was at school, um, you know, I was getting into like rock and metal music and like playing bass guitar mm. and stuff. And I just remember as well that like actually that you know we had a music block, which you know it wasn't particularly huge or anything, but but yeah, you know, already from quite an early age that was becoming quite dominated by boys. And you know, it's it was probably quite hard for girls yeah. to actually yeah. ac access that, you know, especially to play those kind of rock instruments. Yeah. And obviously, it is a genre of music which is very popular but which is still very male dominated so it just shows doesn't it, i suppose how from an early age these patterns can develop and actually yeah like what for example could schools do to like open up those yeah, kind of spaces exactly. more to everyone i mean um thinking back actually guitar i'd say is a bit like piano that seems to be quite a mm. range at the moment in primary for girls and boys and um, what lifting limits have done for music is they have lists of um composers across history who are female because again that's mm. something which we'd say when you're teaching music. So maybe it's just, your, you know, your once a week um, class music. You know, are you focusing mostly on either traditional male composers? So, you know, the Beethoven's and the Mozart's and things, but even more modern stuff. So, you know, when they come back and say, oh, we've been doing Take That um, or um, I'm trying to think, I don't know, someone else more modern. That's not very modern. Um, <laughs> you know, you're saying, well, how about some Adele or some Madonna? You know, it's just trying to get that mix in there so that yeah. they're not, um, you know, again, seeing it's only men who are taking the lead. Um, mm. Yeah. And, and and we always like to ask on now and men about uh you know the kind of personal side of, of doing this work as well and um so may I ask um like how you first got involved in in, mm -hmm. in work around tackling um gender stereotypes I mean and do you think there are any kind of factors in particular which which may have led to that <laughs> um yeah I think there's a mixture so I do have a son but even before I had him and I didn't know he was a boy till I had him I was one of those parents who didn't find out um I was very always very bothered that that feminism should be for boys and girls or for men and women, I suppose. And it would always frustrate me when I'd read articles or listen to, you know, the radio or whatever, and, and there'd be talk about, you know, only women 
should be sort of fighting this. And I think, well, no, because if we don't include half the population, we're not really going to achieve equality, are we? Um, so then with Let Toys Be Toys itself, it started in 2012. And as I've admitted before, uh, when it started, I remember thinking it wouldn't work because I was working at Nickelodeon at the time, which um, so that's a, a TV channel and then has Nick Jr. as well. And obviously they do an awful lot of merchandising and licensing of shows like Paw Patrol. And so I knew, even though I've always worked on the digital side, but I knew, you know, things took five years to get to the shelves. So when Let Toys Be Toys were saying, um, oh, we're going to talk talk about signs on shelves. And I was thinking, no, you need to start like three years before when there's this idea for a TV show that's already made half of and they've decided the characters and they've dressed them up and they've decided those colours. And so, yeah, so I, I'm afraid. But, but the success of the campaign has been that the consumer doesn't know all of that inside stuff of, you know, the sort of long lead times for licensing or how everything's working. And the reason it worked is because what they saw was what they wanted to challenge. And so the, the signs worked. Um, but because I was at Nickelodeon, I didn't feel I could uh, join the campaign. So I went freelance and I joined later in 2014, 2015 time. Um, and then I sort of dipped in and out. We're all volunteers. So we sort of do what we can when we can. Um, and obviously in that time, our children have got older. Social media has evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things have kept moving on. Um, and then because I was involved in that, um, I can't really remember the connection, but I um, met Karen, who now runs Lifting Limits, so she she invited me to join that. And then because of the connections that Toys We Toys had made, which was some really good ones, we were always so pleased that we sort of got invited into things, which was was positive. You know, we were always trying to make it, you know, can we make positive change? Um, I think, you know, things like with the NUT, um, with Institute of Physics, uh, Gender Action had funding from the Mayor of London, those sorts of things um, meant that those all, those connections sort of meant we joined the dots, I think, and we thought about, okay, it's not just about the toys on the shelves, it's about, you know, the whole experience of childhood that's really important. And um, like, how, how would you say it impacts on you kind of personally to do this work? Like, I mean, because for example, you know, do you find yourself like, you know, I feel like once you start learning about this stuff and once you have your eyes open to it, it's very hard to like unsee it, isn't it? Yeah. You start realizing that these gender norms and stereotypes are, are everywhere and, totally. and, it, and it's very hard yeah. to live outside of that world. So like, yeah, yeah. How, how do you kind of yeah. persevere? I and, and... No, I think that's, that's a, a really, really good question. So the phrase at Lifting Limits um, that they use is a gender lens. So yes, you mm -hmm. apply a gender lens to everything. And suddenly, yeah, you, you <laughs> as you say, you start to think, oh gosh, I'm just seeing them everywhere. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so I mean, the thing is, I think I was already applying that gender lens just because I was bothered about sort of sexism and that sort of thing from, a, from an early age. Um, I think it is a tricky one because sometimes the other thing we have to always remember is where everyone is on their journey. So sometimes we will get people tweeting things and I think, oh, yeah, we've seen that a million times. There are st There's still stuff out there that's in some toy shops or that just, you know, Asda, for example, hasn't budged at all. You know, certain things that we'll see and we'll think. And the thing is, you have to sort of re, what's the word, sort of reignite that sort of remembrance of having a two-year-old or seeing it for the first time. And, yes, it's terrible. Let's try and change it. Whereas I think... As we as a campaign has matured, maybe we've started to sort of think, okay, which battles, 
you know, can we pick sort of thing? Yeah. And I know for myself, sometimes we each have to take a step back from social media or from the campaign just to to have that break, definitely. Um, <laughs> but I think, I suppose the other way I've managed it is as I've learned more and I suppose matured in my own career, I felt more able to challenge things in the work I do as well. So as you said, I start, I've started to do... Um, audits and seminars and things from a sort of media perspective and I mm. think that you know just gives you a little bit more sense of can I make some sort of other change in that way because mm. it's often just about talking you know just it's just pointing stuff out often so we had a tweet recently so from Tesco Tesco have d- just done some absolutely brilliant packaging and you think okay so there have been some great conversations going on at Tesco and it would be good to know what those conversations were and we really hope that you know, just there's a sort of groundswell of enough people noticing or having their own kids that you start to see those changes in packaging. And mm. it's those sorts of things where you think, okay, there has been a change. Um, but yeah, occasionally you think, hang on, how has this been going on for 10 years? <laughs> still being tweeted things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I was uh, wondering about, Olivia, is, is how does this potentially contribute in terms of, like environmental damage? Because obviously, you know, are we producing, you know, more and more toys, you know, in a gendered way, uh, which is actually just creating, you know, more and more stuff, which actually we don't necessarily need. And yeah, I mean, is that is that something to think about as well in relation to yeah. gender stereotypes? I think it is. I think it's a really good point because um, we have sometimes wondered if, you know, trying to market things separately to boys and girls means if you, you know, have a boy and a girl or two boys and a girl, you're feeling you have to buy different toys for them and you can't do hand-me-downs. Um, and it's the same with clothes. I think has had that's had a massive effect in the market as well. Um, so I think that is yes, it's it's obviously sort of cl- classic capitalism of trying to to produce more stuff. So one thing we looked at, I think, a couple of years ago, was that was that green impact and mm. how could you reuse toys? Mm. And you know, particularly when the kids are young and they grow out of stuff quite quickly. Charity mm. shops are obviously a brilliant place to get stuff, and they. The last time I was in a few charity shops, they're not dividing by girl and boy. Um, so that's a good one to look at. Um, mm. And then also, but it's just thinking about, well, if, you know, my older boy like this, why can't my younger girl like the same thing? And then it's mm. those range of play experiences that we always think are really important because otherwise you might end up with only one type of play. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so, no, it, it definitely has an impact uh yeah sort of climate change and should you be always buying new stuff or could you read mm. you know think about um passing things down yeah because mm. there's also a another campaign isn't there let clothes be clothes and mm-hmm. it feels like that's another thing as well isn't it about obviously cl- children's clothes are so rigidly gendered yes. often yeah. and again that's potentially you know you don't need to have all these different clothes with uh, no and it's interesting because a few shops have actually i think MS and john lewis mm. said that they've stopped labeling them as girls and boys but then if you go in you see so i think it was in MS, the pajamas uh they label them as kids but they've got one side pink and the other side is yeah, i don't know vehicles um <laughs> and um so no yeah the clothes is important as well mm. i think i don't know the thing with clothes is obviously as the kids get older it does it might become more important but then there again have a look on twitter because there are threads about how different the fit is and it Mm. is something i've noticed as a um, mother Mm. son in that i don't normally have to notice it i just have to go oh the colors are really boring once Mm. he 
was past four, he wasn't allowed to wear any bright colours or, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but the other thing I've noticed is, um, so he really likes Harry Potter and a lot of the Harry Potter clothes, they're not necessarily labelled as girls, but they're sort of in the girl bit. Mm. And so the tops or the sweatshirts are that bit shorter or that bit tighter. Mm. And so you need to buy the next size up. And it's those sorts of things that, and mm. I have had my eyes opened from from mums of girls of how frustrating mm. it is that from quite a young age, what the girls are being sold is feels inappropriate for, you know, yeah. they just want to run around. Um, and it's restricting their play. Um, and again, maybe that is where charity shops uh, can come in. But I mean, the thing with charity shops is they have such constant churn. They'll still be stocking quite recent stuff mm. you know, that kids have grown out of. So well, just going back to the green theme that you uh, mm. mentioned there, I remember from my childhood, um, you know, playing with cars endlessly, endlessly. Mm. And mm. boys did i mean girls did to an extent too mm. but main, mainly boys and i'm thinking god is, is that still going on because that that's you know we're dominated by a car culture still and it's a real yeah. big problem in terms that's of the really environment isn't it because yeah because there's there's sort of vehicles so the thing we looked at with the toy advertising is that a lot of the the ads for vehicles so toy vehicles so whether it's a a train set or a car or you know remote control cars are often mm. marketed to boys mm. um we have found that they are now including girls much more than they used to. But you're right. There's a real thing around. Yeah, should why are cars such a such a popular thing? Um, mm. Yeah, mm. No, that's a good point. I need little toy bicycles more. So. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well you, can, you can have train sets. Train Absolutely. sets are quite popular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then you get into aeroplanes and yeah, because like Playmobil have some wonderful, you know, vehicles. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and would you do you have any like advice that you would give to parents or, or other adults? You know, like myself, I'm an uncle. You know, or grandparents. Uh, you know, who want to help make sure that you know their children aren't going to be kind of unduly influenced or kind of held back by by the kinds of gender stereotypes we've been talking about. Um, I think the main thing. I mean, the thing we always say if you're a sort of gift gift buyer, gift giver, I don't know, um, <laughs> or a benevolent uncle, is to really find out what the child wants and mm. is interested in um because again you will hear so I was in a bookshop actually the other day and I heard a man say to the shop assistant I need a book for a 15 year old boy and a 13 year old girl you know mm. find them now mm. sort of thing and I was sort of peering because I was with my son <laughs> and he was in a different bit, sort of trying to work out what they were going for and actually I thought the shop assistant did a very good job of just finding sort of the the the, the teen young adult stuff at the moment but it's that sort of thing that uh, limits because you're saying that the key reason that you're looking for something is entirely to do with what your sex is and it's like well mm. that's not it's what you're interested in um, you know it's like you know you might be really into Harry Potter but you might also like something else and it's nothing to do with you know uh, it, it, you shouldn't be it's putting you in a box isn't it by saying mm. you like certain things and then I suppose the other thing is giving the child confidence to like the things that sometimes society says they're not supposed to like um and obviously there are ways you know if it's something that might feel a bit young or you know you can still be giving them something and and sort of i suppose encouraging them to to still enjoy whatever it is they like and make sure they're not a, you know the classic from the lego not ashamed to say they like certain things um, yeah i wonder if there's something there about like you know how much of a kind of consumerist society we live in as well mm. that like buying gifts 
and and presents and toys and stuff is seen as being like the a way of like showing love to someone and and, and not just like a gift but like you know a quantity of gifts <laughs> you know and it's like well it's wouldn't it actually the most meaningful thing is to have a close relationship with somebody where you show your love and affection you know just through that relationship uh you know rather than through and from from there then then hopefully you would have a better understanding as well about what kind of things do they actually want rather than what society is actually just telling exactly you. It's, a, it's knowing who they are yeah um, yeah so we'll we'll often have examples where um you know well-meaning relatives have given presents and and the family will say well it was sort of the wrong way around for the girl and the boy really you know they thought the girl might like this and the boy might like that and really they'd quite like to swap you know and again that's where they just you know they don't know the child well enough but equally that's where it would you know even just asking the parent they'd probably get a bit more sense out of it um but it is also because I mean I think the the big one people often talk about is sort of when kids are sort of five and six and they're, they're at all class parties, I suspect there haven't been for the last two years because of COVID, but mm. um, you know, that used to be a really big thing of what do you get the child that your child doesn't even play with, but they've been invited to the party. And that is where I think people do, do fall into those, those stereotype tracks. That's where mm. I'd end up buying a book to be honest, but I think I was a bit, I don't know. I don't know how popular that was, um, <laughs> but um you know, so yeah, it, it can be tricky. Um, but again, that's where we do. So we have gift guides that pull in lots of our toy mark uh, retailers, and we obviously don't group them by boy and girl. Um, <laughs> but, um, but obviously, we we talk about you know how much do you want to spend? Is it arts and crafts? Um, is it construction? Is it space? Is it science? Have a look. So there's lots mm. of them. Um, and we always try to cater for different, uh, you know, uh, budgets as well. Um, and I think, again, you'll look at those and go, wow, that's such a cool thing. And it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or a girl. So, yeah. That sounds really helpful, actually. Um, I yeah, didn't know no, you did that. Yeah, so. no, they're, they're really good. There's a couple of people who work so hard on them. I don't I do not do them at all. And then when they go live, I go, oh, my goodness, that's all my stocking fillers sorted. You know, they're really good. So Yeah, because yeah, the other thing I've had said to me quite often is, oh, just get them a, um, an Amazon token or something. Mm, and, you think, yeah. and, you know, that raises my hackles in a different way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, so to be able to say, yes, there is, you know. Yes. Well, and uh, again, so some of our uh, toy mark retailers are, are, are bookshops. So, for example... Um, um, I don't think my son's going to be listening to this. I bought the Harry Potter at origami. Um, and again, I made a point of uh, buying it from the independent bookshop that featured on our website. And then I even emailed them to say, there's two other books he'd like. Have you got them? Yes, you have. Great. You know, it's that sort of thing of, uh, you know, we're, we're really bothered about supporting independent retailers and, and bookshops as well. Yeah. Your campaign sounds so great. I mean, really great. And I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering, you know, if there's other things that parents out there could do to support you and your organisation. Really? Yeah. I mean, we've sort of gone around the houses a bit with how big we've been and whether we should have a formal status, and we we don't. Uh, we've done a little bit of fundraising in the past, and we occasionally need money for, um, you know, printing and that sort of thing. But again as there have been no in-person events for a really long time. We, in fact, we, we reminisced that the last in-person event was the uh, Women of the World at the South Bank, which we used to go to every year. We'd always have a big stall. 
and uh, we were there in I think March 2020 uh, it kept going um, so and that's always been a really those sorts of events are really positive in that you have people who haven't heard about you or maybe they're a grandmother or maybe they've just had a child or they're an uncle and they come up and sort of say oh this looks brilliant and then usually we they usually tell you about lego friends that's usually what happens yeah. or they tell you about what they've seen in, in a toy shop recently mm. um and yeah so i don't know there's as as you can see we've tried to do so we've done the tv ads research uh we've been involved with faucet there's different bits and pieces that we we try to sort of keep going with uh we're on twitter instagram and facebook and linkedin and we try to sort of keep those communications going um and then i think the thing we are all aware of is all of our children are getting older so um we have a couple of sort of uh newer volunteers who might have younger children but otherwise the sort of core group um yeah they're all getting into sort of late primary senior school and you think um yeah do we do we need some new blood i don't know <laughs> I was interested there in what you said about um, having a stall at Women of the World. Of course, mm. you know, from our point of view in, in relation to the podcast, mm. we want to get messages out to to men as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm. you know, one of the issues for men is they don't tend to see gender in the same yes. way. Yes. So maybe that's a challenge for the campaign. Well, How do you reach did, men, male parents? Actually, they had a men's festival. What was it? It's the November Being a man. One. Being, Being a, man. a man. Thank you. We did actually have a stall at that quite a few years ago though yeah it was really poorly attended compared to women of the world um but we did and we did put out um flyers and that sort of thing but no you're right years ago we used to talk about whether we should be if we were doing in-person events we shouldn't be going to women of the world we shouldn't be going to uh i'm trying to think what else we've done uh, sort of other conferences we should be going to not to be stereotyped uh the football matches or um, the pub or, you know, those sorts of things of how do we reach the people who think it's not a problem? Um, so, so I mean, I have, I've spoken at a couple of men's conferences, things. There's the Bristol Men in Early Years. I don't know if you're connected oh. with them. They're, they're a brilliant uh, outfit and they did a conference a few years ago, which I uh, spoke at and again had a mini stall at. Um, and I'm sure there was another men's one so we have made that connection but again they're often events that are already a bit like this that they're aware of what the the issues might be for boys and we yeah we'd love to sort of you know should we be going to more sort of sporting things or uh yeah ideas please mm. <laughs> so, yeah. well maybe that's a challenge for some of our listeners to to have a think yeah. about that yeah, we do. We do have, and we've always said we're not all parents and we're not all women. So we do always say that. Um, but again, we are majority mums, and that I think, and sometimes that works in our favour because we can sometimes play it down a little bit, just saying, "Oh, we're just a group of mums, or we're just trying to, you know, make a fuss about this, that, and the other." But on the other hand, we have, you know, other interested parties, and I think that's quite important. So, yeah. Great, and it feels it feels like that is in terms of you know what men can do to support gender equality, which is mm. one of the kind of themes of the podcast. It feels like you know we all encounter these gender stereotypes on a day to day basis, don't we? So, 
doing whatever we can to challenge them. And perhaps especially if we are a teacher or if we have children or we have, yeah, we have an uncle or whatever. But I feel like that is something anyone can do, isn't it? Is uh, in all sorts of different ways is to challenge those stories. Exactly. And it is that bit from, from the very beginning because um, mm. something we've all noticed is we always think there should be a Let Cards Be Cards campaign. Yeah, God, yeah. I'm sure you've seen that. So new baby cards um yeah. you know the pink and the blue or yeah. what's the thing about mummy and daddy and that sort of thing you know it's all very heteronormative and yeah. all of that and um but again that it tends to be often when parents both uh, men and women suddenly notice this that they're surrounded by yeah. these stereotypes um I mean that's even from you know in hospital you start getting called mum and you're like oh who's mum oh oh it's me you know <laughs> and the same I've seen you know dads going but who's dad oh not dad you know so it's those sorts of things but it's in language it's in yeah. you know expectation and yeah but no the cards thing so some of our toy mark retailers I'm sure do cards but um again that's a that's a big one both for birthday cards and new baby cards yeah. yeah, gift cards are, I mean, it's terrible, isn't it? They're so gendered and stereotyped. Mm. Like things like Mother's Day as well, mm -hmm. like, or yeah, Father's Mother's Day. Day. Yeah, like, all Day. gift cards seem yeah. for, for men seem to be about like, yeah. you, you like, yeah, you either like going to the pub or you like football. It's yeah. like, there's such a narrow idea about what yeah. a man is. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's been a few, I remember there was a really awful one I saw and I did tweet about in the supermarket. I did think it got taken down, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, <laughs> but there's, there are, yeah, Mother's Day, you're right. When Mother's yeah. Day comes round, you almost have to just turn it off, I think. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it'll be stuff like, oh, mum, we're going to give you a day off from like all yeah. of the, the chores yeah. in the house because it's yeah. Mother's Day. And it's yeah. like, God. I know, mm. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I see you had any other questions, Sandy. I, think I that, don't, um, no. But um, sure. no, it's yeah. great to spend time with you and to, to hear yeah. you talking about the campaigns that you're involved yeah, in. Yeah, no, thank you. Brilliant. Been... Yeah, thank you so much. But yeah, one thing I would say, actually, that I think is quite important when we started the campaign is we always cared as much about boys as girls, because often there have been camp other campaigns that, you know, really worry girls being left behind or girls in science or, you know, sort of status of girls. Um, and we've always made the point that we want equal play for all children. And mm. it's really important because it affects, you know, uh, it has that massive effect on boys, whether it's to do with their emotional development or their language development or mm. what they grow up to be able to do. Um, mm. And then the the one we always use is when I was talking about the baby dolls early on is like, well, mm. quite a lot of these men are going to grow up to be dads. So mm. it's probably OK to play with a buggy and you know, <laughs> have a baby doll um, because that's what they're going to be doing in you know 20 or 30 years. So, mm. yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Olivia, for giving us your time. And yeah, thank um, you. Have a lovely Christmas. Brilliant. Thank you. Yes, thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, no, have a really good Christmas with no gendered <laughs> toys under the Christmas tree. <laughs> so what did you think of that, Stephen? Are you, you going to give up the guitar and take up the flute? <laughs> well, I mean, in all seriousness, it has made me reflect on, yeah, everything. You know, how all of these things, music, uh, games, toys, all of these things are, you know, very much influenced by these kinds of stereotypes and expectations around gender. I mean, one thing which I was thinking about, actually, you know, my, my research is primarily about violence. And I was thinking about how, you know, so often for boys, 
we give them, you know, what are the toys we, we give to boys? And so often, actually, you know, there's, there's weapons, uh, which I don't think is the case for girls to some extent. And again, that's how is it marketed? You know, so often it, it's marketed in a way where it seems to be boys are the ones who are, who are primarily playing with these kinds of toys. Um, but not just, not just weapons, even you know, like toy guns, toy swords, knives. There's also kind of militarism there as well, right? Like, I mean, you mentioned about G.I. Joe and um, Action Man and, and these kinds of things, you know, that, that, somehow the idea about you know what is what is a kind of desirable way of being a man what's a kind of desirable expression of masculinity that boys are learning about and often it does seem to be still quite a militaristic strong muscular um idea there so um i find that quite interesting because yeah like to what extent might that be normalizing for very young boys already the idea that they should be able to use violence they should be prepared to do that and that that is part of of masculinity um yeah what did you think one of the things that I um, uh, really like about this whole issue is the accessibility mm. of, um, you know, uh, getting into talking about gender norms through mm. exploring toys, books, mm. culture, and so on. You know, because sometimes I, I feel that, uh, you know, we can talk in quite sort of sociological terms about some of these things. And you can, <laughs> well, I don't know, but we might be losing our audience or some of them. Whereas actually, when you when you go to a toy shop and look at the shelves and think, blimey, look at this, you mm. know, this is horribly gendered, then mm. that that's, you know, is very powerful. And it's there and it's it's in your face, really. Mm. So, um, so I, I like that aspect of it. The other thing that I, I really thought was, uh, uh, interesting was when she mentioned oh there should be a let cards be cards campaign mm, yeah. i mean yes when you look at those you mm. know again you go into a, a shop and you look at the cards and you think oh god this is uh, mm. sexist homophobic mm. uh, ageist it's got mm. every every ist you want to mention really mm. and uh you know it wouldn't be too difficult to set up a parallel campaign like that um maybe that's one for us Stephen. um at some point oh, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, you just go to any card shop or any card section of a supermarket, and it's just remarkable how sharp they're divided into pink and blue. And yeah, like for children, you know, what mes what messages are these cards sending to children or or to our family members? You know, this is supposed to be about expressing our love and affection and gratitude to each other. But as you say, so often actually the messages within them are actually quite send, send, sending out quite narrow, rigid ideas about things like gender. Um, yeah, which I do think is quite harmful actually. Um, but yeah, well, I think that's the end of um, today's episode. So thank you so much uh, for listening, everyone. Uh, we hope we haven't <laughs> ruined your Christmas too much. Um, but hopefully, uh, I mean, I suppose Christmas may be ruined to some extent. Yeah, it's ruined already, already Stephen. <laughs> because of the pandemic. But hopefully it's given us all something to reflect on, you know, over the Christmas period. Um, we hope you all have a lovely uh, Christmas, uh, whatever it is that you're doing over the, the holiday season. Um, yeah, and we look forward to bringing you more episodes of Now and Men um, in the new year. And just to finish off, we thought it would be worth recalling some fine words to parents from a Lego brochure in 1974, which, which um, we've seen going around the, the internet recently. Uh, and to quote from it, the urge to create is equally strong in all children, boys and girls. It's the imagination that counts, not skill. You build whatever comes into your head the way you want it a bed or a truck, a doll's house or a spaceship. A lot of boys like doll's houses. They're more human than spaceships. A lot of girls prefer spaceships. They're more exciting than doll's houses. The most important thing is to put the right material in their hands and let them create whatever appeals to them. 
Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? It shows how things have changed, and not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> yeah, 1974. Yeah, wow. But it shows as well that things can change, how fast things can change in a positive way as well, potentially, um, if we work towards that. Uh, but yeah, um, so don't forget that, of course, you can subscribe to Now and Men wherever you get, you get your podcasts. And of course, if you are uh, stuck for things to do over the holidays, um, you can listen back to the eight previous episodes we've done on Now and Men if you haven't already uh, done so. And we always welcome feedback, questions, suggestions. So do get in touch with us at nowandmen at gmail.com if there's anything you'd like to share. But for now, goodbye and take care. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>